Good evening and welcome to Slam Regal, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petrie. I have a return guest. I'm very happy to have Nicole Anderson on. She was last on Season 3, Episode 136. We discussed spreading awareness about psychological abuse, often called the hidden abuse. And today we're going to talk about becoming certified and what she has done with her career. And she's also given websites that I will also put on the podcast notes, but she's going to talk a little bit about that and what the the people that she sees their major concerns are around the holidays. So I welcome you, Nicole. How are you? Amazing. How are you doing today? Okay. So when you go to get certified for this, you know, peer support certification, you know, where, well, where can you go? How people are probably wondering how long it takes things like that. So there are a few requirements. First, you have to have um, your GED or your high school diploma, but mainly they want you to have lived experience. So you've got experience with trauma or, um, and, or to all of these trauma, substance misuse, and mental health um, services. Once you have those, then it's a 40-hour training class that you have to test out of at the end. So you will take, which is not not a big chunk of time, that's just a week. Um, You And it's a solid, it's a full week if you do it Mm -hmm. full-time. You're going to go through that training, and at the end, you have to test out, I believe it's 80% or higher, so it's kind of a pass-fail. You either pass it, and you get certified, or you don't, and then you're retaking that. For the peer certification, there are two levels. There's the state level, and then there's the national level. So on the state level, for anybody that's interested, you just go to Google, Bing, Yahoo, whichever search engine you use, and you would type in your state plus peer certification. That will bring up the companies that offer certification in your area. Once you get that taken care of, then you can move on. Once you're certified on the state level, you can move on to where you're certified nationwide. That is um, a bit more laborious, a bit more extensive because it covers the entire nation. Mm -hmm. You're going to have, you're going to need two years of recovery. You're going to need to have been in successful recovery for a minimum of two years. And then you're going to need about 3000 hours of peer support work, 200 of which would need to be uh, supervised, whether that's paid through a company or volunteer through a company. And then you would be going through the certification courses for that because it's going to be on a higher level. You're going to cover nationwide rules. For Arizona, I only had to cover what Arizona required, where different states will require different things. Mm -hmm. Um, The main thing for me in the peer support certification is the ethics behind it, is making sure that you're not causing harm, that you are there helping. And if you can't help, then you remove yourself so that somebody else can come in and, and help them. The last thing that we want to do as certified peer support specialists is inflict more trauma 
um, invalidates anybody's trauma. We don't want to do any of that. So you want to make sure that you are far enough in um, on the state level. I think it's a year of successful recovery. If it's with substances, there can't be a relapse, I believe, for a year. And then mental health, I believe it is um, no formal like hospitalizations or any of that for the year. So you do have to be well into your recovery so that you are able to successfully aid. Part of um, being a peer support specialist is obviously listening to someone else's traumas. Mm -hmm. If you're not far enough into your recovery, that can be very, very triggering. Mm -hmm. I am now in my recovery for four years, about four years. Mm -hmm. And I still get triggered when I hear some stuff, especially like you were mentioning around the holiday season. Mm -hmm. lot of traumas for people that whether it's mental health, whether it's just hardcore trauma, or whether it's substance misuse, a lot of those happen around the holiday. Mm -hmm. A lot of those are almost exasperated, almost made made bigger because of the holiday, because Mm -hmm. of family, friends, the getting together and still not feeling like you fit in. Most people who have suffered the traumas that we have that are in recovery for substance misuse or mental health, they've never felt like they fit in. Mm -hmm. They've never belonged in their family unit. They've never belonged in their friend groups. They've always felt like an outside looking in. Mm -hmm. And that can be really, really hard now around holiday season. So the one thing that I guess that I would say the main concern with my clients around this time is do I go to those holiday functions or do I not? And unfortunately, that's not something that I can tell my clients what to do. Mm -hmm. I can show them what I've done and I can remind them that they have to look at not so much what's going to happen in that one dinner in that one gathering, in that one party. But what is the cost to you after that? Mm-hmm. How long is it going to take you to recover after that? So look back at the previous, you know, the previous Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. When you got home from those gatherings, how long was it before you were back to feeling yourself? Mm-hmm. How much work did you have to put in to come back to center, to come back to alignment within you? Mm-hmm. Because people often think, oh, it's just a dinner. Oh, mm-hmm. it's it's just a, a coffee. It's just a breakfast. It's just a party. Mm-hmm. But for people like us, it's not. Because mm-hmm. typically when you're dealing with stuff like this, you're dealing with a lot of gaslighting. Oh, that wasn't that bad. You're still mm-hmm. worried about that. That's still affecting you. Why are you even thinking about that? You know, you get those kind of things. Mm-hmm. That's gaslighting. If your abuser is part of those parties, mm. then there's a lot of dog whistling. I'm not sure if you know what dog whistling is, but uh-huh. that's when the abuser, the the part, the party who inflicted the trauma, they will say little things that the majority of people that are outside of that situation wouldn't catch on to, but the person that they inflicted it on would get triggered by it. Mm-hmm. And they do that much like when you blow a dog whistle, nobody else in the room can hear that only the dog can. 
So when they make the remark that seems seems not to be a big deal to anybody else, when the victim hears it, it triggers them. And when we get triggered, especially around a lot of people, we typically react on it if we're not if we're not to a place where we can handle that stuff. And that feeds into their narrative of, see, look, she can't handle herself. Mm-hmm. See, look, she's not mentally okay. See, look, she's she's crazy most of the time is what they say. Mm-hmm. Did you see the way that she acted at the party? She's just, she's not there. She needs help. Mm-hmm. What they don't understand is the comments cause that. I'll give you an example. The last holiday that I spent at my family's, they were talking about the big issue with child abuse, the big issue with all of the traumas that involve children. Mm. And my mom, I was the only sibling there other than the brother that was hosting it. My mom started talking about the brother that was not there and said, yeah, she'd probably be in jail if she was raising us today because she left him in the car when she ran into the store. That would be a dog whistle with me sitting there Mm. because leaving one of us in the car to run into the store wasn't the biggest feat. I was literally beat Mm. bruises in family pictures type of beat. So that would be considered a dog whistle. And had I not been disassociated during that, during that Thanksgiving, I probably would have said, Oh, so you beating me wouldn't have sent you to jail. Like, you know, and Mm -hmm. that would have made me look like the bad guy that would have made me look like I was, off the rocker because most of the family doesn't know that that's what happened. My older siblings, my older step siblings, they were out of the house when that was happening. My youngest sibling, he was four years younger than me. So he doesn't remember that stuff. If I didn't have family pictures that they took, I wouldn't have any proof of it. So it, those are type of dog whistling statements that are meant to trigger the person that actually suffered the abuse Mm-hmm. So that they say something that seems out of pocket in a family gathering. So that's one of the big things that I warn my clients about during this time is you've got to really look and you've got to look at what's good for you, for your mental health, for your well-being. You can't worry about, oh, well, they're going to be upset that I'm not there. They're going to, you know, what are they going to say if I'm not there? They're going to talk whether you're there or not. Mm-hmm going to talk after you leave so do you want to stay in a state where you're not recovering Mm -hmm. or do you want to have to recover most of my clients that end up going and myself included last year I went to a family gathering for Thanksgiving and it was a good two weeks after that that I was recovering Mm -hmm. it's it's People don't understand the effect that they have on others when they don't go through major traumas and they don't go through healing. Most of the older generations today don't think that they need any help, don't think that they need any therapy. They just want the younger generations to get over it already, Mm -hmm. just move on already. But how do you move on when you've got complex PTSD? We're not asking our brain to bring these things up. We're not mm-hmm. saying, okay, brain, let's think about some bad things today. No, we, nobody wants to remember that stuff. And I don't know if you know about it, but The Body Keeps the Score is an amazing book of how mm-hmm. trauma, how internal conflict that we don't heal, how that affects us in a very physical way with 
illnesses, injuries, and overall not well feeling in the body. Mm-hmm. If you know somebody that's got a chronic, like an autoimmune um, mm-hmm. issue, more times than not, that is linked back to some form of trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of people, they, they're not aware of the ACEs scores. No, um, the ACEs score is something that I recommend everybody do, whether they think that they had a bad childhood or not, um, because it is very validating in seeing the effect that our childhoods had on us. I had no idea of that score. And I am one that I was the scapegoat. I was targeted. I was made to think that I was crazy. Mm -hmm. So for many, many years, I blamed myself. I did not understand that what I lived through was true abuse because that's all I knew. And when CPS came into my life, when I was a kid, they Mm -hmm. dismissed it because I had a, I had a house that was clean and a family that had decent money. My stepdad worked at Intel. So -hmm. they came in, saw no problem and left the bruises that were on me. Didn't matter anymore. They chalked that off to siblings playing. Mm -hmm. Um, When you take those scores and that was one of the scores that was very validating to see, wow, they, the effect that this, and you can see when you have the higher score, they give statistics. I don't know all of those offhand because I usually take those things. Mm-hmm. I apply it. I take the validation and I kind of push it aside and try to just work through, excuse me, work through the trauma. Mm-hmm. But there are statistics when you take those scores that tell you if you scored this and above, you are this percent more likely to struggle with employment. You're this likely to struggle with substance misuse. Mm -hmm. You're this percent more likely to struggle with relationships, all of those things, all the way down to, um, not surviving, not Mm -hmm. prematurely coming to an end. Mm -hmm. So all of the tests, Um, and I strong, definitely, if you believe, even if you don't believe at this point, take the ACEs test. And if you score anywhere on that peer support is definitely there for you, but there are higher levels that you will want to integrate with that. I would not have gotten to the place that I am without formal therapy, like a certified licensed therapist, because the therapist, I got very lucky. I did not have a therapist that went to school and just learned from a book about these things. Mm -hmm. She had lived experience. So she was one that went through a lot of things that I had gone through So she was able to hold space like a peer support would, but on top of holding space, she was able to teach me how to rewire my brain. Mm -hmm. There are different programs that can help you rewire, um, CBT, DBT, those types of um, therapies are targeted on getting you out of the survival mindset, out of the abused cycle of thinking and into more of a untraumatized cycle of thinking. 
So you're rewiring your brain to see the world in a different place. You're rewiring your brain to see things as less of a threat until they prove that they are a threat. So Mm -hmm. you don't go around so paranoid and so blocked off from the world. You're able to see the world through clearer eyes. You're not assuming that everybody and everything is a threat until the red flags have shown you, okay, this is not a safe place for me until your body has shown you, this is not a safe place for me. And in rewiring your thinking patterns, you then are helping to rewire your nervous system. So it's less sensitive because they will then start working together to look for the red flags, to find the proof that this isn't a good situation to be in. Mm-hmm. Now, with this um, CVT and DVT therapy, you know, are there specialists? Uh, how do you find one? Trauma. You're going to look up trauma therapists. It has uh-huh. to be a therapist that special specializes in trauma. <clears throat> These one or both. Well, you're not going to take both. You're going to take one or the other. Uh, Well, if you start with CBT, you will then move up to DBT, but you will take one of these or both of these before you go into any EMDR therapy. And that's like the full on trauma therapy, working through the stuff that um, is subconsciously stored Mm -hmm. that our frontal lobe doesn't, doesn't full on remember. And the reason that they put you through one or both of those first is because you have to have the skills in order to work through the therapy. They cannot bring, like, say before I went through DBT therapy, Mm -hmm. they could not bring me into EMDR and start that training, start that therapy, have these big traumas come up because those are ones that usually bring out the suppressed trauma, the trauma that we have a hard time remembering. Mm -hmm. Because once you bring those up and your session is what an hour usually with a therapist, Mm -hmm. once you bring those up and that hour is done, what happens to that patient for the next week while they're waiting for their next, they're left with this trauma. This trauma has been brought to their forefront, to the frontal lobe, Mm -hmm. to their conscious. Now they know full on about it. They're seeing it. They're having flashbacks. Without CBT or DBT, they don't have the skills to work through that. That's another part of the rewiring, another part of specifically DBT. I didn't go backwards. I started with DBT. Mm -hmm. It gives you the skills to work through crisis events. It gives you the skills to work through any kind of unfavorable event. Um, I strongly suggest everyone that I run into that has trauma to go through DBT Because not only does it help you see the world differently, not only does it help rewire the way that you're looking at things and processing things, but it gives you real life skills to handle things that are not happy, that are, Mm -hmm. that are less than favorable situations. It gives you the skills much like, um, you go into administration, you go in to be a receptionist, you're going to learn skills on how to answer the phone, how to document, how to use their systems. That's pretty much what you're doing with DBT is you're learning how to use your system Mm -hmm. so that you can bring in information, process it, let go of the things that you don't need to hold on to, hold on to the pieces that you do so you can move forward. Mm -hmm. 
that's so valuable. Uh, yeah. I, some people say, well, I can handle this on my own. I don't need anyone. And, you know, I talk to people and, you know, it doesn't hurt to try a counselor. I, yeah. Part of what we talked about the last one is the trust. I can tell you that a lot of the DBT skills, if, if they do not have that trust yet, they can start learning those on their own. If they will put in the bookwork themselves, if they will look online, if they will start teaching themselves the skills to the point where they get to that point where they're saying, okay, now I need another person to help. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that a majority of people don't fully heal from things is because they want to do it themselves because they've been hurt by people too many times. Mm-hmm. They don't have that trust for others. Mm-hmm. The problem is we can only get to a certain point of healing by ourselves because Mm -hmm. we don't have somebody else showing us things. We don't have somebody else, even just a mirror showing us, pointing out the things that we're overlooking or not able to see because we're us. We all have our blind spots when it comes to ourselves. And a big part of like the tail end part of healing is Most of us, we weren't traumatized by ourselves. Mm -hmm. Most of us didn't step into this stuff on our own. Mm -hmm. Most of us were traumatized in a relationship of some sort. When that happens, you can't heal that part without another relationship. Mm -hmm. So you have to go through your personal healing till you get to that plateau place. And then you have to start integrating relationships so that you can start healing the relationship aspect of all of this. Mm-hmm. Because again, most of us didn't traumatize ourselves. Most of us got traumatized in some form of a relationship, be it friends, family, or a significant other. In order to truly heal that part, you have to be in another relationship. We just hope and pray that they heal themselves enough that they can see the red flags that they can get into a healthy relationship and heal that with somebody that is healthy as equally healthy as them at least so that they're not getting re-traumatized. I had one counselor tell me that the older you get, the less crap you put up with. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) That, That is, um, very accurate. I don't know if it has to do with the knowledge base that we gain as we're growing, the, the literal experience um, or the age itself, but I can tell you my ability to people please these days. I just turned 39 in October. So my ability to people please these days is like next to zero. Mm-hmm. The only person I think that I have any power for people pleasing is my minor child because she's <laughs> my minor child and she's still learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I have reached with the age and experience. I've reached a place where I fully understand who I am now. And I am not willing to put up with people who don't know themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's a big part that comes along with codependency, people pleasing, which is a huge factor of trauma, Mm -hmm. because those are the things that we took on to protect ourselves. The only way that most people who are suffering trauma can protect themselves is through people pleasing, Mm -hmm. through fawning, 
Um, people think that it's just flight or freeze when it comes to our survival instincts kicking in. There's flight, there's freeze, and there's fawn. And fawn is severe people pleasing. You will do and say whatever that person needs or wants so that you remain safe. Um, I can tell you that I think that more so it's not the age itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's the experiences and going through the healing of those experiences. I know some people that are older than me that are still stuck in codependency and people pleasing that are still stuck in those things because they're not willing to really become self-aware. Everything that filters through us is either filtered through a self-awareness, a clear sight, as I call it, or it's filtered through trauma glasses mm -hmm. where it's fogged and it's distorted. And it's very much like wearing glasses out in the rain. You, you, you can't see clearly what's going on. So you're reacting in that way in a, in a distorted way without truly becoming self-aware, you can't change any of the patterns that's why in the last one, I said, we have to sit with ourselves. Most of us suffered childhood trauma. Um, the way that things were done in the boomer generation and older was not very loving. So mm -hmm. a lot of us have childhood trauma, not that our parents were horrible people, but that's the way that it was done. That's mm -hmm. what they chose to follow with. And without looking at the behaviors that we've adopted to survive that, unlearning the behaviors that we've adopted, we can't ever get to the next level. As long as we are stuck looking at what made us a victim, we don't get to step past that into a warrior, into a survivor. We stay in the victim role. Oh, I agree. That, that was well said. Uh, because we've got to break these generational cycles, you know, or you're just going to go into a relationship and make, uh, not that you mean to make the mistake, but it will happen. Yeah. And then here we go again, you know. And part of the cycle breaker is not doing it perfect. We don't do it perfect. I'm breaking the cycles with my family. So I've, I've stepped away from all of my family. I don't communicate with them because they're on the same old game. Mm -hmm. Um, and I repeat those cycles with my kiddo until I see the cycle and stop it. That's why self-awareness is so important mm -hmm. because if you can't see you repeating it, you can't stop it. So I was able to not repeat the physical aspect of it because I, I saw the damage of that too much. And even when she got spanked in the butt, she got spanked in the butt twice. Um, when she was, I think she was about five. I sat down with myself after that. And I sat down with my therapist and I was like, why on earth would I do that? I have not spanked physically disciplined in that manner for five years. Why would I do that now? Mm -hmm. Because that's a cycle that you're having to break within as well as with the outside. Mm -hmm. So by swatting on the butt and seeing not only the fear in her, but the, what the heck just happened in yourself, the true body feeling of that was not okay. Mm -hmm. 
then you don't ever repeat that cycle. Part of, and it breaks my heart because there are a lot of parents today that feel like they're bad parents because they did something like that. They hollered at their kids. They, um, most of it is yelling. Most of it is yelling and blaming when they don't have all the information. Mm. You have to repeat that cycle for just a little bit so mm-hmm. that you clear it out completely. The one part that we miss that most parents miss is the sitting down with the kiddos after that mm-hmm. and saying what mommy did was wrong. Mm-hmm. You should not have gotten your butt spanked. There was no reason for that. That mm-hmm. was not your fault. That was my fault. I messed up. Mm-hmm and apologizing for that. And I always Mm -hmm. teach my kiddo an apology comes with three steps. You apologize. You ask them, how can I make this better? Can I make this better? Mm -hmm. And then the last step is changing behavior, Mm -hmm. never doing that again. So part of the reason that we do repeat the cycles in little spurts like that is so that we teach them why we don't do this. Mm Mm-hmm why this is not okay behavior that sets them up not only to not abuse their kids, not mistreat their kids, but it sets them up to not be abused and mistreated by anybody outside of the family. Mm -hmm. If my own mom won't do that to me, if my own mom won't treat me that way, why do you think you can? Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that my kiddo has learned. There's been some bullying in the family with her And I didn't have to tell her to walk away. I didn't have to suggest that maybe she remove herself. She came to me after the bullying situation with some cousins and said, Mm -hmm. I don't want to play with them anymore. Mm -hmm. They don't make me feel good. That was mean. Mm -hmm. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't want to play with them anymore. So she came to me for that validation of removing herself from people. Is that okay, mommy? Yeah, absolutely. I back you. You don't need to talk to them again. You don't need to be around them, play with them if that's the way that they make you feel. Mm -hmm. So it's really, in my opinion, it's not even so much about me as the parent. It's about the next generation that is going to change the world. It's about making sure that she is in a place that she's not going to allow any kind of abuse Mm -hmm. because most kids that came from abuse, they end up in abuse in a marriage in, you know, their relationships outside of that. Mm -hmm. When we stop that in the home, when we show them that we make mistakes and misbehavior is not okay. And why this behavior is not okay. They learn it on, I say on a soul level, Mm -hmm. they learn it in a way where they're growing up saying, I know my worth. I know who I am. I know my value and I do not need to lower it for anybody Mm -hmm. because we would rather be alone than be mistreated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a a big part of even being a parent, you know, like if I had yelled at my child, you know, and I thought maybe I just over yelled, I'd sit them down and I said, you know, I'm sorry if I, you know, yelled too much. I mean, what do you think? You know, <laughs> ask the kid. Then I say, well, you know, I, I'd hug them and and I, I said, you know, did I comfort you enough? And that's even if they come home from school and they were bullied, where then I'd have to make a phone call to call a teacher and they would have to sort it out. 
because they had zero tolerance bullying. And I remember my one, my middle one coming and crying and I was trying to sort him out and I hugged him and I said, you know, have I comforted you enough? You That's know, because it's, is- well, when, when I was raised, you were just, you know, there was no, um, a whole lot of comforting maybe. <laughs> no, it was move on. It yeah. was, is that true? If it's not true, then move on. And it's like, that's, but that's not how emotions go. That's why we bottle so much. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want to teach them. I teach mine with the yelling. My emotions are my job. And just because my emotions are big right now, doesn't mean that I get to yell at you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like people that have a bad day at work, they come home and kick the dog. You can't be doing that either. No, what did Uh, the dog do? The dog didn't do anything. Right, right. And and that's the big pitfall that we are in right now. And And that's probably the most simplified way to say the problem with things right now with the majority of people is we do not know how to manage our emotions. Mm -hmm. If you have not gone through some kind of healing, some kind of um, trauma recovery, you don't know how to handle your emotions and process your emotions. I'm really big on transmuting the emotion into something else. But if you don't know what your emotions are or why you're having it, the root of it, you're stuck. Mm-hmm. Most think that anger is because something upset you. Well, yeah, it upset you, but why? The baseline of anger is typically pain. It's hurt. They have been hurt by someone or something, which if you are a lifelong bottler of emotions, that typically comes out as anger. Anxiety is another thing that shows as anger. Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of women these days don't understand why they're getting angry with their kids. Don't understand why they're getting angry with their spouse. Don't understand why they're getting angry, period. Mm-hmm. It's because you're fighting an and sensation of anxiety within your body and that is coming out as anger because anxiety makes us feel out of control and most of us that is the safe or the safest emotion that we have learned is anger because i'm not okay Mm -hmm. so anger will make sure that you all stay away from me because Mm -hmm. i'm not okay right now so everybody needs to go away. And anger is a good way to get everybody to go away. Mm-hmm. When we can sit and say, oh, and that, and that's getting into our body again. That's um, not being so much up, up here, but feeling, mm-hmm. feeling the sensations, feeling the shift in your body. That's part of why I advise my clients strongly to get onto more of a natural diet, get onto more healthy foods, natural, real foods than the chemicals, because that allows you to be in your body more, to feel your body more. Mm -hmm. Most people, once they clear out a lot of the chemicals, they can feel when the anxiety is coming. They can feel the energy shifts before their emotions start kicking in. And it will start to raise like the alarm. It'll sound your personal alarm within you to say, oh, something has shifted. Something is off. What, mm-hmm. what was I just thinking about? What was just said? 
what, how, why did it trigger me? How did it trigger me? So that you're not letting emotions get to that point. Anger happens when you've gone through all of these and you've done nothing about it. So now your body is saying, okay, now we need anger because you're, you're not handling it in the, any of the other signals that we've sent to you. Mm -hmm. So now we need anger to push everybody away so that you sit down with yourself and say, what is going on? Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people realize that, that this deep seated anxiety and possibly depression as well, because I've, I've heard depression and anxiety go hand in hand. Yes. And depression, they say, is when you are very focused on the past instead of the present. You're, mm-hmm. you're very focused on past traumas, past mistakes, past anything. And that is why depression is huge in people who have trauma who have not worked on healing it because your physical body not just your brain but your physical body is overwhelmed with the past Mm -hmm. it's overwhelmed with your choices with others choices with how you handled others choices and until we get into our bodies there's no way to outthink it Mm -hmm. there's no way without releasing what is stored in our bodies. That's why um, a lot of people, you will see that they will suggest yoga. They will, they will suggest getting a solid workout routine until you get those energies out of your body. You're going to stay where you're at. Mm -hmm. And then it's the joining of the two, because um, I also know the people that do all of the working out. They, they are physically fit, but then they don't do anything with their head. Mm-hmm. You've got to join the two. You've got to release this, the pent up stuff from your body while processing the logical, the brainy side of it. Um, and a lot of people need to actually relive some of that stuff, need to go back to those memories so that they can correct them. Mm-hmm. Most of the time when you're having a flashback, when you're having Um, a memory being recalled out of nowhere it's so that you can look at that from a different perspective so that you can look at that from a more healed perspective and say oh wait a minute I wasn't this horrible kid I Mm -hmm. wasn't this horrible person this was abuse Mm -hmm. this was a traumatizing event that I should have had people there helping me not blaming me Mm -hmm. And when you go back into those memories and I call it, I call it time jumping because Mm -hmm. you're jumping into the past, you're jumping into a past memory. When you can go back and view that through a more healed state and say, that wasn't your fault, little Nicole, Mm -hmm. you're, you were never a bad kid. You were never a bad person. You were never evil. Then that memory gets the chance to fully let go, to fully move on to a healed place, and it won't continue to come back. Yeah, it's a matter of people understanding there is a problem. And, you know, saying, I'm not going to do this with my family. That's it, right there. And that is not, that's not easy. 
No, um, I don't want anybody to to misunderstand that. I think that healing and breaking cycles is something that is easy peasy. It is not. Mm-mm. Most of the time, people that come from very toxic families, they have to cut them off. I can tell mm-hmm. you, I've been no contact with the majority of my family for over a year. And I just cut off the rest of it in June. Um, but that was not the easy, mm-hmm. that was not the easy choice. It'd be much easier to self-sacrifice and inflict pain on myself than it is to walk away because we are born with a natural instinct to want a love and relationship with our family, Mm -hmm. predominantly our parents. That is something that is a part of us. Mm -hmm. So people that walk away from their family, they do it not out of just a whim. You know, it's not just a one day we woke up and, Hey, I just don't want to talk to you guys anymore. Mm -hmm. It's after years of trying to fix it. And was Thanksgiving, was that hard having no family? Yeah. When Mm -hmm. my birthday came around, was that hard having no family? Yeah. But after letting myself grieve and feel that pain and even cry a little bit, my healed self stepped in. I call that my higher self. My Mm -hmm. healed self stepped in and said, I know it hurts not to have these people but look at all that you've done since they've not been in the picture. Mm -hmm. Look at the peace that you hold. You're not fighting with anybody on your birthday. You're not Mm -hmm. feeling left out by anybody on your birthday. You're not wondering why you're not good enough to throw a party for, but the other siblings are, you know, it's those things. And you really get to see it from a different light. Do we miss our family? Absolutely. But we love ourselves enough not to keep on enduring trauma from people that don't want to heal, that don't want to take accountability for what Mm -hmm. they've done and change. Because typically people don't want to take accountability for what they did in the past. They're not taking accountability for what they're doing today either. They're Mm -hmm. still on the same old, it's not my fault train, you know? Yeah. The no accountability and it's over with now, you know, yeah. Why haven't you, you know, snap out of it? Yeah. That, that's what I would hear. <laughs> yeah, I heard move on, move oh. on. Yeah. Yeah, people don't realize, you know, when you have kids and the object is to correct your the past that you had that you disagreed with, uh, the way you were treated, you know, and I, I felt I did that. I felt I did the right things. Definitely. Um, there's, there's a weird thing in the older generations that I haven't quite put my finger on. And it's that they endured pain and abuse. So why shouldn't you? Um, That is one part of this healing journey. I think that I don't, I still don't understand four years Mm -hmm. in and I I still don't understand how you could go through such pain 
and not want to do better by by yours Mm -hmm. why you would not want to save them from that pain it feels like it was more about the financial aspect what can what can we do to make sure that they have you know a, a big house and a lot of toys and that type of thing as opposed to the real lack of love that was there the real lack of attention um i'm learning with my kiddo that it's not about all of the things it's about the time it's mm-hmm. about the accepting of her and who she is and letting her have her voice letting her pave her path because it's not for me to say how my biggest opinion is that our kids are not here for us to teach them it's for them to unlearn us Mm -hmm. to unlearn all of the unhealthy things that we picked up along the way Mm -hmm. Um, they are an amazing mirror to show us the things about ourselves that we don't like to show us the things about ourselves that we can fix, that we can work on. And the majority of parents take that very personally. Mm -hmm. They take that as my kid is trying to hurt me. My kid is trying to disobey me. My kid is, is trying to inflict this on me when they're not, they're just showing you things that you need to heal, things that you need to work on because they may be pint size. They, They may be a lot smaller than us but they're full humans already. Mm -hmm. They're not any less. They're not an object. They're not our possession. They're not an extension of us. They're their own person. And most of the time you will find that the children are here to show us what we need to do better in, in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And with that, we have to do better so we don't have repeat generation dysfunctional problems. Yep. It seems like a lot of my podcasts, we talk about the generational dysfunctions that, that go on for six generations or, you know, it could be forever. Uh, it goes way past that. Yeah. Way past that. Um, this, it goes all the way back, at least to the starting of this country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you look at um, the indigenous account of the start of this country, it is a very narcissistic cycle. Mm-hmm. They were love bombed. They were future faked of a, of a union where we work together. But that's not really what they saw. Mm-hmm. They didn't see a union of two different people making a better place. I mean, we all know what they saw. Mm-hmm. We all know what they received. And then there was a nation created, a a nation of flying monkeys created that gaslights them. Even to this day, people gaslight them saying such things like every nation is taken over, every land is taken, but not like this. Mm -hmm. The, The very narcissistic cycle of presenting a false self, love bombing someone to get them to trust you. Faking a future that you don't intend to hold up and then betraying that person at the deepest of levels. That is a cycle that is repeating today that started at least then. 
I can't tell you about where else in the world, how far back past that. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't gotten past that yet. Just with Thanksgiving coming up, I've gotten to that cycle or just came up. I got to that cycle. So for at least the last, what, 200 plus years, how many generations is that? Mm -hmm. we're, We're looking at past that. Right. And I think with that being that long ago, all these things either could be inherited personality disorders or um, when you had said earlier that, you know, with the older generation, where did this come from? Maybe I'm, I'm thinking maybe it came from all this past hundreds of years living in this country that That's has exactly formed in their mind, maybe is my guess. Because trauma, uh, people don't understand that when a child is in the mother's womb, they are inheriting traumas, not just from their mom when they're in the womb. All of the emotions that a mom feels when she's pregnant are given to that child. So if that mom is in survival mode, if that mom is in a toxic situation, that is passed on to the child. In fact, they've done studies Um, kids that were in the womb during like the great depression where food was scarce and all of that, Mm -hmm. you will see that the children of them have weight issues. They hold a higher percentage of fat on their body because they were, they were being built. They were being uh, developed in the womb in a time where food was scarce, Mm -hmm. where food was not plenty. So their body is built with that survival of, we need to hold on to every bit of nutrient that we get. Mm -hmm. Um, And that goes back. They're not just getting what happens to the mom, but they're getting what happened to the grandma because all of those eggs are already in the woman. Mm -hmm. So it goes back and back and back. It is literally in our DNA. Mm -hmm. So the lack of empathy from the generations, I don't understand that. I can Mm -hmm. fully see how the trauma has just been passed down. Even if you go back, um, let's go to England because Mm -hmm. I am of of the um, European Hispanic side. So I I don't know much about the African um, history because that has not been my history. So I have not worked to that side yet. But even if you go back to the Royals, mm-hmm. England, look at the trauma that started there. Look at how those Royals were treated. Look at Queen Elizabeth that just passed. Look at how she treated her children. Mm-hmm. Look mm-hmm. at how she ran things there. Look at the blatant lack of care for the majority of her people and it just it goes all the way back Mm -hmm. all the way back it goes to the very and I don't even know where the very beginning of all of our people is Mm -hmm. but this is definitely a passed down DNA deal and until we collectively come together and say no more it's Mm -hmm. not going to end and we can't just stand up and say no more I'm done like it requires actual consistent work. I am in for about four years into my recovery. I will never be done recovering. Mm-hmm. Just like somebody with a substance misuse, they are never done fighting for sobriety. We should, in my opinion, and I don't really like the word should, we should consistently be working on ourselves. We should consistently be doing that shadow work, that reflecting on us and our behavior and how we can be better. 
I agree. I agree. I I'm very glad that we talked about this because we've got to be the the cycle breakers. Yeah. And the cycle breakers need to become more vocal. And that's, I think that's a lot of the disruption that we're seeing is um, predominantly TikTok has mm-hmm. a lot of cycle breakers on there and they are vocal, man. Mm-hmm. They are like, I'm done being, I've got full body chills. Yeah. <laughs> they are done being silenced. They are done being shoved in a corner, shoved in a closet mm-hmm. and ignored. And they are coming out on their full force with their voice saying, I don't care who doesn't like this. Mm-hmm. This is wrong. And this is why it's wrong. And this is how we can start fixing it. Right. I mean, I had put some things on TikTok and one of my friends said, I don't know, do you want to air your dirty laundry there? And it's like, well, um, you know, I did write a book on all of this. So this but is like, why, why is it dirty laundry? Because it involves somebody else's horrible actions if they didn't want their actions talked about they should have made different actions Mm -hmm. people think that getting on any social media on any platform and talking about what you lived through is airing dirty laundry and that's part of how they've silenced us for so long Mm -hmm. and it's not you're not airing dirty laundry you know what you're doing you're opening up space and holding space for that individual that's on there that is going through exactly what you went through that thinks that that's just life, mm-hmm. that thinks that's just how people are raised. That's just how relationships go. Like I said, I didn't know that what I lived through was abuse until I was in my thirties. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that the child abuse that I suffered was child abuse until I was in my thirties. That's part of why I share all of my quote, quote, dirty laundry, because that teenager that's living through the same thing, they can look at my page and say, oh, just because this is all I know doesn't mean that this is all that's out there and doesn't mean that it's okay. This is abuse. Mm -hmm. Silence doesn't benefit anybody Mm -mm. but the abusers. Silence doesn't benefit a victim. Never, never on this planet has silence benefited a victim unless they are still in abuse and they're exiting once they are out of the abuse cycle and in safe environment, silence never helps them. It bottles and it causes physical ailments. Mm-hmm. So next time somebody ever tells you, say, I'm not airing dirty laundry. I'm talking about my lived experience. So somebody else can find a way out of theirs. Definitely. Oh, thank you. And very, very well said. <laughs> And I like to have you back on uh, my podcast. I will put all that information in the podcast notes, but how can people reach you and find you on TikTok as well? TikTok is can't silence, won't shh with underscores between each word. And the shh at the end has two H's or they can look up transmuting black cat LLC. Um, the quickest way to get a hold of me would be email. That would be T as in Tom, M as in Mary, blackcat at outlook.com. And 
like I said at the beginning, if you're interested in the peer support certification, please, please get into it. We need more peer support specialists out here. And just a quick search on the internet for how to get certified for peer support in my state or simply your state and peer support certification that will pull up all of the companies that certify in your area. And it will also link if there are any programs through insurance companies. Some insurance companies will cover for you to take not only the course, but they'll pay for the certification test. That's amazing. I think that's good to know. Yes. I never knew that, that they would hopefully pay for it depending on the insurance company. That's great. Yep. Some of them, I'm pretty sure that most of the state insurance companies pay for that. If you're on any kind of um, mental health program, they more than likely have a way to get that paid for you as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you. And I'll have you back on again. Absolutely. You know, um, so you know, have, have a good holiday and we will talk soon, but uh, don't jump off. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been a great experience. Oh, same here. Same here. You have so much wisdom for such a young person. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Old school here. (laughs) (laughs) Slam the gallows, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us here again with Nicole Anderson and other exciting guests. And I totally thank you again. My pleasure.